Good morning, everybody. Glad that you're here at the Anderson Church for this communion service. Now, this should be the most joyous service in the church calendar, because this is the service where we all remember, we remind ourselves. Jesus says, remember who? Me. me. Remember me. So the focus is totally on the Lord Jesus Christ, and specifically on his death on the cross. Why should that make us joyous? Because that gives us everlasting life. This morning when we were talking about books and records, the question was asked, do you want to be in the book of life or in the lake of fire? Now, the lake of fire doesn't really sound that attractive, not even to put your little toe in there. So the book of life, and the only way we get in the book of life is through the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's turn to the book of Matthew, and we're going to have a prayer just before we open God's Word, but turn to Matthew 26. And for those of you that are here for the first time, and welcome to, to the Anderson Seventh-day Adventist Church, <clears throat> this is really not going to be a sermon. This is just a little mini-sermon today, because we don't want our service to be overly long. <clears throat> so I'm gonna, I've chosen one verse in chapter 26, and it's in verse 28. I'm going to read that text, and then we're going to have a prayer. Jesus is the one who is speaking. The context, the setting, is very shortly before he dies on the cross. And he says in verse 28 that this cup, which of course to them was the Passover cup, when they celebrated the feast of Passover, this cup, he says in verse 28, is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This blood of the covenant is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's what I'm going to speak on this morning. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, we thank you for times in our church calendar such as today where we can celebrate the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and the implications of that we can also be moving into a new year with all of the newness that that suggests. And I pray, Lord, as we move into this new year that Jesus will move with us. We will move with him. Bless us in this worship service as we open your word. May each person here this morning be found in the book of life. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> I gave you a little bit of the context there, very, very close to crucifixion, very close to Golgotha. Jesus has been sent by the Father specifically to die for the human race. God had a plan. God is carrying out His plan. The Father sends the Son, and after the Son dies on the cross, the Holy Spirit will apply the death of Christ in the lives of human beings. There's not a one of us that believes and trusts in Jesus Christ without 
the work of the Holy Spirit. So in this verse, as we break it down, there's three or four words that I want us to focus on quickly this morning. The first word is the word covenant. What does he say there in verse 28? This is my blood of the covenant. And he's obviously speaking to people that know something of the covenant. Covenant means an agreement. Biblically, it usually means that God has dictated the terms of the agreement. There are promises in the covenant, blessings in the covenant. And what, what is our part? Our part is to hear. Our part is to have faith. Our part is to obey. That's the idea of covenant. A little bit different than, than covenants that we have today where you have two parties and they're both uh, taking part in this covenant. In this type of biblical covenant, God dictates the terms. So you want life? Yes? Then we do it on God's terms. Your own terms, someone else's terms, well, that's thieves and robbers. That's get, trying to get in some other way. That doesn't work. This agreement or covenant is spoken of in Scripture in many, many ways. One way, it's called everlasting. It's an everlasting covenant before the creation of this world where the three members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dialogued together and came up with a plan that if sin should arise on this earth, and of course we know that it certainly did, then this plan would be executed. And the plan was that the Lord Jesus Christ would come and die on your behalf and on my behalf, on behalf of the human race. No human being, not not great men like Moses or Abraham, David, none of them could be the representative. None of them had kept the law perfectly, but Jesus Christ would. He would be tested. He would be tormented by Satan and his angels, but he would meet the demands of God's holy law in word and in action, of course, and even in thought. So he is the perfect representative of the human race. When it says, in fact, in this translation, it just says the word covenant in the, in the New International Version. Have you noticed that? In some translations, you'll have new covenant. And that just depends on the manuscripts that, that they're using. So in my Bible, it kind of says in the margin, uh, it could be new covenant. But both are helpful. Both are helpful. Because there really is only one covenant. Now, I believe the covenant was made to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, 15. What does it say there? Some of you know it by memory. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's talking about Jesus Christ being the seed of the woman who would come and defeat the enemy. 
It's not as clear as many would like. It's, it's kind of cryptic. And as we move our way through Scripture, this covenant message becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. So it goes from Adam. It goes to Noah. Would he be the next one? It definitely goes to Abraham. Most of us think of the covenant in terms of Abraham. That's where some of the language is, is the clearest that we can, we can find anywhere. We have Mount Sinai. That's another uh, renewal or ratification or further clarification of the covenant on Mount Sinai with the ten, giving of the Ten Commandments. And of course, as I've said, with David. And there may be others that we could think of, but these are the basic ones that we think of. So sometimes we'll hear the word covenant in plural. But there's only one covenant. There's only one way to get saved. And it's just expressed according to the people who lived in Noah's day or the people that lived in Abraham's day or the people that lived in Noah's day or David's day. It's just put in language that they could understand. God condescends to meet us where we are. Where it finds its clearest expression, of course, is with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because now the covenant is taking flesh. Now we can look into his eyes. We can eat with him. We can dialogue with him if we were living there in the first century as the disciples were. This covenant is spoken in our text this morning in verse 28, in some translations, as a new covenant. And we go back to Jeremiah 31, verse 31. That's an easy way to remember the, probably the most important passage in the Old Testament on the new covenant. What was wrong with the old covenant? Nothing, except the people broke it. So it was a broken covenant. So in Jeremiah 31, if you want to turn to Jeremiah, I guess I should give you the page reference for that. Jeremiah 31, verse 31, it says, The time is coming, the Lord declares, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. And then many Christians say, because that covenant was defective. Wrong, wrong, wrong. God doesn't give defective gifts, right? But because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law, where? In their minds. I will write it, where? On their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And verse 34, they will all know me from the least of them to the, great, to the greatest. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. So we call that the new covenant. Jeremiah calls it the new covenant. And if you want to be picky, you can say it's just given to the Jews. So when you're talking with your evangelical Christians that tell you you're an Old, Test Old Covenant Christian as a Seventh-day Adventist, just remember that point. This is given to 
for the Jews. But it's given to more than the Jews. It's given to any man, woman, boy, or girl who wants to be right with God. The new covenant. When it comes to, to Jesus, of course, it will be um, ratified by his blood, and we will deal with that in just a moment. Another word that we need to focus on here, well, just before we do, this, this is a promissory covenant. So God gives promises with this covenant, and he expects a response of faith and obedience. It's a love promise to us to be saved, to be right with God, but it expects a response, a correct response on our part. The problem is often with sin. That's another word. I will forgive their sin. So I want to deal with sin just quickly. Sin is not just our actions. So like with the Ten Commandments, those Ten Commandments are given. We would think of that in terms of our actions primarily, but there is one that says thou shalt not cover, which obviously gets into our thinking process. So sin in our lives is our words, our thoughts, and our actions. It's much deeper than most of us think. If most human beings on planet Earth believe the Bible and its explanation of sin, they would run to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are riddled through and through with sin, and sin is, is a barrier between God and us. Hence, Jesus Christ dies on the cross, and it mentions there in our text his blood. Even the concept of blood has been subject to a lot of debate and discussion. I think one of the most important things to think about blood is that it is sacrificial blood. So it's made on our behalf. So if you were a Jewish person living in the time of Moses, for example, uh, the, the little innocent animal's life would be taken, and its blood sprinkled in the sanctuary. It's a representative of somebody, uh, somebody's life being given up for you, so your sins can be forgiven. Also, we speak of blood as having the life in it. You've heard that mentioned before in Scripture. It, it signifies very clearly the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I think that's one of the most important points to bring out in a, in a communion service like this. But it also signifies life in Scripture too. So if I try and put those two ideas together of death and life, through the death of Jesus Christ, you and I receive eternal life. In the Exodus, on the doorposts, what did they apply? So whether we're talking about sacrificial animals, whether we're talking about blood on the doorpost, because the blood represents the sacrificial life that is given up on, the, on behalf, ultimately, of the Lord Jesus Christ, so blood is very, very significant. And it's not, it's not a concept that some Christians particularly like and don't find it attractive and want to take it out of their hymnals, all references to the blood, but it's very significant. Jesus could have just said in this verse, this represents my life, right? 
but he doesn't. He, he talks of it in terms of this represents my blood. And then, and then also this idea of forgiveness, the forgiveness of sins. It is the most incredibly exciting and joyous thing to ever come to experience or to even contemplate that God, out of pure love, pure mercy, pure kindness on His part, will forgive every one of our sins. Our past sins, yeah, we're pretty clear on that. What about our present sins? See, today, if you're going to rejoice in this service today, there's a fly up here trying to, I think it's trying to preach from the Word, actually, but flies don't do that, do they? Well, donkeys don't speak either. So, past, present, if you're going to enjoy our service today, you need to know that your sins are forgiven. Every single foul, dirty one of them is forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. You could be mass murderer and your sins can be forgiven and should be forgiven because Jesus did not die for himself. He died for you and for me. And in a number of places he said, hey, I didn't come to call righteous. That would be a pretty short list, don't you think? Like zero. I came to call sinners to repentance, to give them life. And who can forgive sin but God alone? Christ was the Lord Jesus Christ, was God forgiving sin. Past, present, what about future sins? All sin, intended, unintended, whatever category you're going to put it into. And I know we're pretty good at making distinctions there. All sin, all sin is offensive to God. And all sin has been dealt with Christ in his death on the cross. So, when we see in our next verse, I tell you I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom, then we think of another part of the plan of salvation, so to speak. When he comes back the second time, in fact, it was even in uh, John's, I think it was John's prayer this morning, that Jesus is coming back. We need Christ to come back. Either Vic or John, I can't remember now, mentioned the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's even in our name, Seventh-day Advent, Adventist. Do I pronounce that right? Seventh-day Adventist, Jesus is coming back. How can you meet him? Why will you not be running to the rocks and the mountains when Jesus comes back? Because he has forgiven you all of your sins. And you are clothed. doesn't say that in this verse. You need to go to other parts of Scripture for that. But we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So God sees you not as a sinner with past, present, and future sins, but as a saint whose sins have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone who is clothed in his righteousness, somebody who is in him, and he in, the, he in you. John 15, Jesus 
is coming back again. And one of the hymns that we will sing later in our service is talking about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at your bulletin here on the worship service, it says that we will have an ordinance of humility now, which is found in John 13, where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and he says, I've given you an example. Do you understand what I've done for you? You should do also as I have done for you. So the women will be in Hinton Hall East, families in Hinton Hall West, men in the junior room, and children in room one. Let us pray as we separate. Kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we're here to celebrate especially the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and try and understand a little bit perhaps more clearly uh, what he has done for us in his death, but more importantly, to experience his presence here today. We thank you, Jesus, for being here. We thank you for these glorious, glorious truths and promises from you. And I pray, Lord, that every one of us here this morning has our sins forgiven, that we're in your book of life, we're clothed in your righteousness. Bless us now as we separate. Uh, may our foot washing be the time that we examine ourselves when we uh, clear up any problems that there may be there. And when we come back to take, partake of the, symbolically of the, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, help us to do it with a smile on our face, with a spring in our step, with joy in our heart. For these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let us separate at this time.